All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're continuing our series today uh, in, uh, in, in the, the, the topic of the church. And over the last eight weeks, we've been in this series and we've covered some, a lot of ground over the last eight weeks, studying the great truths, what the Bible says about God's church, the church of Jesus Christ, and specifically how we live these truths out here in our local church at Destiny Church. And I want to remind you of, of some of the topics that we've covered. In the first week, we, we looked at how the Word of God is our foundation. Uh, whatever we learn about the church, whatever we do in the church, it, it doesn't come from culture. It doesn't come from our past traditions. It comes from the Word of God. We have to base what we know about the church from the Word of God. In the second week, we looked at the word church, that word ecclesia, and how we are the gathering, we are the assembly of God that he has called out from the world to gather in his name. We are those who share in the confession of Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the church is made up of, of those who are believers in Jesus Christ. The, the church is not just a, a social club, of affinity based on, you know, it's not just made up of people who like to get together and participate in religious activity. No, the church is made up of true believers in Jesus Christ. Those who share in the confession of Peter that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, and the only Son of God. That the church belongs to Jesus Christ. He said, I will build not a church, but I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus and he purchased the church with his own blood. We looked at the mission of the church from Matthew 28, this great commission where Jesus told us to go into all the world and to make disciples of all the nations. We looked at the leadership of the church, uh, specifically elders and deacons. And last week we looked at the sacraments of the church of baptism and communion. Now, I want to remind you again of our definition of the church. A church is, we've used this every week, is, is a group of believers. Again, believers in Jesus Christ. Under the care of biblically qualified leaders who gather in the name of Jesus to worship Jesus as king, to hear God's word faithfully preached, and to participate in the sacraments and the sacraments properly administered. This is, what a, this is what a local church is. Of course, every believer in Jesus is part of the universal church or the global church or what is sometimes called the capital C church. But what transforms a group of believers, a specific group of believers, specific people, specific names, specific faces into a local church is when they gather in this way. This is what transforms just a bunch of individual saints into a local church. And so we're going to talk a little bit more today about church membership. We're going to talk about, we're going to look at what it means to be a member of a local church. What does it mean? Is local church membership, is it a biblical idea? What is it? What's the purpose of a church? Is, is membership kind of like membership at a gym? 
where you pay your dues and you never show up? Is it kind of like that? Is it kind of like a country club where, again, you pay your dues and then there are people who wait on you hand and foot and serve you? I think a lot of times we have this sort of consumeristic mindset of what membership is in a local church because we have membership in other areas of our lives and we sort of just assume that membership in the church is kind of like that. Why should someone become a member of a local church? What's the purpose of church membership? Should I only only be the member of one church or, or can I be the member of several different churches? You know, can I say, well, I I like the worship at this church, so I'll be a member here. And I like the preaching at that church, so I'll also be a member there. And they have really good kids ministry over here, so I'll, I'll join that church for their kids ministry and this church, I, I really love their outreach program, so when I feel like I want to go serve, I'll, I'll, I'll be a part of that church. And, and this church has really good kids ministry, so I'll join that church. And again, it's this sort of consumeristic mindset. And so you wake up on Sunday and you say, do I feel like good worship or do I feel like good preaching or do I feel like taking my kids to a place that they'll enjoy today? Is that what it's supposed to be like? There are those today who argue that requiring church membership is an old and antiquated idea. They find the idea of including some people as members while excluding others to be in opposition to the gospel. Now again, where do we turn to find all of these answers? Well, the word of God, of course. And so I ask you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians, a portion of this passage, really as a, just to lay some groundwork and, and introduction for us to help us get our hearts and our minds thinking uh, in the right way and in the right place today. I'm not really going to teach through this passage, but I, I just want to read it as a, as a framework and a groundwork today. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 12 It says, just as the body, he's talking about the physical body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. You're part of of the body of Christ because God chose you. Amen. As he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
Nor again can the hand say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that, are, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Lord, we thank you for your word as we spend time digging into this great topic today of church membership. I pray that you would help us. Lord, that you would help us to see clearly the truths of your word, what your word teaches about being a member of the body of Christ and being a member of a local church. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the members of Destiny Church. Lord, that you would help us to conform our lives to the pattern of your word. And Lord, that through your spirit, you would conform us to the image of Christ, your son, and that we would live for his glory. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. It's church membership, local church membership, is being a member of a local church body. Is that a biblical idea? There are those who say that it is not. They argue, they say, nowhere in the New Testament does it say that a Christian should join a local church or become a member of a church. And those who argue that and who say that On that point, they are correct. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says you must join and become a member and sign the role of a local church. It it doesn't, you can't point to chapter and verse where it says that. However, local church membership is a biblical idea. In fact, It's not that you can only point to one chapter and verse that says you must become a member. In fact, the whole of the New Testament is bathed in the idea of being a member in the local church. Church membership in the New Testament is like water to a fish. The reason you might not see it is because the New Testament is totally immersed in this idea. It's completely enveloped by it and upheld by it. Other than the four Gospels in the book of Acts, the very beginning of the New Testament, other than that, every other letter plays into this idea, teaches on the idea, and is even written to local congregations, local churches made up of individual members, individual saints. The instructions given in these letters are often specifically how the individual members are to relate to one another as members of the body of Christ and members of the church. Let me give you some examples of just how bathed in church membership the New Testament is. Let's just flip through some things quickly. I'm going to read to you a couple of quick passages today. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God as an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Synethesis, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. If I, if I just keep going through the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, not just the, the church of God everywhere, but he's writing to a specific people. The church of God, that is in Corinth with all of the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, the church in Corinth and also all of that surrounding region. Galatians chapter 1, Paul an apostle, not from men, not through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So here he addresses this to the churches of Galatia, not just one local church, but that there are many different local churches in this region of Galatia. Ephesians chapter 1, he uses the language not of church, but of saints. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He uses this terminology of saints and churches interchangeably. Philippians chapter 1, this will be the last one. I'm not going to go through the whole New Testament, don't worry. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers, the elders, and the deacons. And so this idea of, of a local church, it is absolutely a biblical idea. These letters written to specific churches who had specific members, people in their city who, who were called out of the world, who gathered in the name of Christ, who were known to one another. He didn't write to everyone in Ephesus. He didn't write to everyone in Philippi. He didn't write to everyone in Corinth. But he wrote to the church, those specific saints in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Corinth. Again, we see in the book of Acts great examples of this as well. Acts chapter 2, 41. Those who received his word, the believers, this is the day of Pentecost, Peter preaching the first gospel sermon. Those who received his word, the, those who believed, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Somebody's there taking count. Somebody's there taking a tally. Somebody's there saying, how many have believed and have been baptized and are now a part of the church? In Acts 2.47, it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Again, the church is not made up of unbelievers, but the church is made up of those who truly believe in Jesus Christ. And as you continue a few chapters into the book of Acts, it says, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So somebody's, somebody's keeping track of who the members of the church are. Do you, do you see that? There's somebody taking a tally. There's somebody keeping a list. There's somebody who's, who's counting heads. There's somebody who's saying that there's specific people who are a part of us, specific families that are part of the church. Now, we don't know by what means they used to keep track of everyone. We don't know if they kept a list. 
We don't know if they, they, they appointed a certain amount of families to each one of the apostles or deacons. We don't know how they organized themselves. But what we do know is they did, did organize themselves and that they did keep track of who the, the members of the church were. They knew who, who, wa, who was a part of the church and they, know who were, they knew who were, I don't know why I can't say that, but they know who is a part of the church and they know who isn't a part of their church. Do you see this? Do you agree with me that this idea of the, 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 the leadership and the church knowing who the members of the church are? Do you see how that's a biblical idea? That this isn't just some sort of man-made thing? Something that people came up with to, to push people down or to oppress people? There's a spirit in our culture today that says all leadership, all authority is totalitarian and oppressive. That's not true. That's not true. It's simply not. We live in a, in a culture today that wants to overthrow and do away with every single form of, of hierarchy and leadership. You know what that's called? Chaos. Anarchy. If a society does that, it will be blood in the streets. It, it will be apocalyptic when a society has no leadership, when a society has no governance, when a society has no laws and anyone to enforce the laws. Leadership is not, is not all, all authority is not authoritarian. So, so we live in a culture that struggles with the idea of leadership, which struggles with the idea of authority, which struggles with the idea of, of being under authority. But that's not a biblical idea. In fact, that's a satanic idea that finds its root in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan came to Eve and said, don't live under God's authority, but live under your own authority. Don't obey what God has said. Obey what I say. Be, determine what is right and wrong for yourself. And oh, by the way, here I'll give you my list of right and wrong. And you can follow me. You're going to live under someone's authority. That's the teaching of the Bible. You're either under the authority of Jesus Christ or you're part of the world and you're under the authority of Satan. You're going to serve somebody. Now, most of, most of the world lives in deception and they think they're serving themselves. They're not. They're not. And so the, the idea that uh, uh, the, the church uh, was just invented by men, it's a system of men uh, to keep uh, people oppressed, it's just not a biblical idea. No, the, the truth is that, that godly authority is a great blessing. The, the Bible says when, when a godly king rises to power, the people rejoice. Because God's blessing flows through godly leadership. So we pray for our leaders. We pray for their salvation. I hope you pray for the salvation of our president. And our vice president. And our senators and our congressmen. Pray for their salvation and pray that they would uphold righteousness 
because it would bring God's blessing to our nation. And the opposite happens when a nation abandons God. So back to to church and, and church membership. Do you see that this is a biblical idea? Do you see that this is what they practice in the first century? That this is what was going on in Jerusalem. This is what was going on in Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica. That this is what happened. Paul planted churches, specific saints. They knew who they were. How did they keep track? I don't know. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that we see that they did keep track. Now I want to shift gears here a little bit. I want to talk about how, how we relate to one another as members of the church, members of a local church, what the defining uh, sort of mode of operation should be within a congregation. Jesus said in John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's amazing to me is I don't think that this is what the church is known for today in our culture. I think the church in America is sort of known for getting into ridiculous disputes about ridiculous things. Churches splitting over the color of the carpet, things that have no bearing on anyone's spiritual life whatsoever. Jesus said, this is the new commandment I give you. Love one another. And then you would look at that and you say, well, what is love? How do I know what love is? Well, he says, I'll tell you what love is. You love others as I have loved you. That's the model. That's the example. That's the standard. The love of Christ. Paul writes and he says, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. What does that mean? It means it governs my life. The love of Christ tells me what I can do. The love of Christ tells me what I cannot do. I am bound to, bound by, constrained by the love of Christ. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. So what does love look like? Love looks like service. Love looks like sacrifice. Love looks like putting others before yourself. Love looks like thinking about others before you think about yourself. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do do you see the one another in there? Jesus doesn't say the world will know that you are my disciples if you love the world. Jesus says you will put the love of Christ on display by your love for one another. Another, your love for especially the people of your own local church and local assembly. We are the one another. Look around this room. 
You want to know who your one another's are? We're right here. We're right here. We are your one another's. And the New Testament writers, as they write out the New Testament, as they, as they uh, take this, this command of Jesus, this new commandment, and they begin to apply it and extrapolate it into every practical area of life, the New Testament is then saturated with instructions on how believers are to relate to one another within the confines of a local church. By my estimation, by my counting, there are nearly 60 times in the New Testament where it instructs believers to do something for or with one another. 60! I'm not going to read all 60 of them for you, though I was tempted to. But I am going to read to you a, a selection of them. And I, I just want you to feel the, 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 the thrust of, of, of what a member in the body of Christ, what it means as we look at what it is we're to be and to do and to, how we're to live in relationship to one another. Mark 9.50, be at peace with one another. I'm not going to read the references. I'm just going to read the one another's. Wash one another's feet. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then as Christ Jesus has accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Happy to say in San Antonio, we actually do that. Have equal concern for each other. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievance you have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Stir one another on towards love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against each other. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And then about 15 times it simply says love one another. Amen. This is what, this is the picture of what a local church should be. That the members know who they're members of and they're, they're eagerly living, to, to, they're eager, eagerly seeking and, and to put these things into practice and to live these things out. And I have to ask the question, how are you going to obey these commandments apart from being united to other members in the body of Christ? How can you obey these commandments if you are not united to other members of the body of Christ? 
How can you do these one another's? Who are your one another's? We are the one another's. The members of Destiny Church. We have a responsibility, an obligation, not only to Christ, not only to the leadership of the church, which I believe that we do, but we also have responsibilities and obligations to one another. Who are your one another's? I believe it is impossible to live this out apart from being a committed member of a local church. I just don't see how you do it any other way. I don't see how you do it just tuning in uh, to, to this church's live stream and this church's TV broadcast and, and I'll get fed from this TV preacher and that TV preacher. Yeah, but how do you live out the one another's? Who are your one another's? How are you living these out? It becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to obey the word of God without belonging to a local church. And in fact, that's what membership is. Membership in the body of Christ, it is a pledge. When you become the member of a church, you are making a commitment. You're saying, this is where I'm going to live this out. These are the people where I'm going to live this out. These people are the one another's in my life. This is the place. It is a commitment that you make to God, to the leadership, and to the members of the church. So membership, church membership, is actually a very serious thing. It's nothing like a gym membership. It's nothing like a country club membership. It's more like a marriage than it is a gym membership. A pledge and a commitment that you make to the other members of the church. Now, do we love and serve those who are not members of our church? Of course we do. Of course we do. But inside the church, we do something for each other that the world cannot do for us. You know what we do? We hold each other accountable. That's what we do inside the local church. We hold each other accountable to what? To our pledge that this is where we live this out. To our pledge that this is how we're going to live, our, live out our walk with the Lord. The world is not going to hold you accountable to being hospitable. Hello? The world is not going to hold you accountable to being humble and considering others better than yourself. The world is not going to call you out on these things. But the local church, we will. That's called sanctification. Amen? It's, it's really easy to be loving when you don't have to love anybody. Have you noticed that? When I'm by myself, I'm the most loving person in the world. Put me in a room full of 15 people and we're serving on a team together and we got to figure out how we, we're going to get this job done. All of a sudden, I have so many more opportunities to show the love of Christ. Amen? Yeah. 
The Lord brings us into his family. The Lord brings us into a church. And it supercharges our sanctification process. As we encourage one another to, to, to live this out. As we admonish one another. As we, as we even at times hold one another accountable. Which is actually a great blessing. It is a great blessing to have somebody who loves you enough to pull you aside and say, Brother, what you did or what you said or, or this, it doesn't represent Christ. Let's pray together. Let's, let's, let's crucify this. Let's bury this. That's a great blessing to have people in your life who are committed to your sanctification. Amen. Inside the church, we hold each other accountable. Inside the church, our love is tested. Why does our love need to be tested? Because how do we know if our love for Christ and our love for one another is real and genuine? How do we know unless it's tested? And this is what the Bible says, 1 John 3, 4. It says, we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So our love is tested in the body of Christ. How do I know if my profession of faith is true, is real, is genuine? How do I know if I really love Christ or I just love the idea of not going to hell one day? How do I figure that out? It's in the midst of your love for Christ being tested in the midst of a local church where you can, you can know and have confidence and have assurance. My love is true. My love is real. My love is genuine. Or it is not. And what a great blessing to find that out on this side of eternity and not the other side. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So being a member of a local church, it, it helps you to obey these one another passages. It accelerates your sanctification, becoming more like Christ, which is the goal, which is the aim. Because I will not bring glory to God if I live in the flesh. Amen. If, if, if the aim of my life is to bring glory to God, I must, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through, the, through, through humbling myself to one another, to, to living together in the body of Christ, pursue sanctification, pursue uh, righteousness, which will bring glory to God in my life. And then finally, becoming a member of a local church affirms you in your salvation. It affirms you in your salvation. Are you really a child of God? That's an important question to, to have answered. And what a church does is we, we gather together. When you become a member of the church, you, you meet with one of the elders. We hear your, your testimony. We hear your profession of faith. We examine your life to see if there's fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if those things are in place and you desire to become a member, we say, welcome to the family. You are a child of God. There are times where we sit with, with those who are not yet children of God. And the elders, they stand there and we say, 
Your next step is not to join a church. Your next step is to become a Christian. Your next step is to repent of sin and to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's your next step. And if you do those things and and show the fruit of the work of the Spirit in your life, you're welcome in our church. All believers are welcome in our church. You don't have to be an all-star. You don't have to be a perfect Christian. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian. But you should have a testimony and you should show evidences of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Amen. As every Christian should. And so as we gather together, as we live out our Christian life, we affirm each other in our faith and in our salvation. And that is a great blessing that those who are not members of a local church do not have. Now, there's also some instructions given uh, about church members and their relationship to leadership. And again, the question is, how do you live this out if you're not a part of a local church? Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. A few verses later, Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 But we ask you, brothers, to acknowledge those who work diligently among you, who preside over you in the Lord and give you instruction. So here... It's clear. He says, remember your leaders, imitate their way of life, consider their outcome of their life, imitate their faith, obey your leaders, submit to them, because they are keeping a watch for your souls. And again, he says to acknowledge those who labor diligently among you in the Lord. So we're instructed to submit to our elders, to submit to the pastors. The question arises... If you're not a part of a local church, what elders and pastors are you submitted to? Are you to just submit to anyone who would print up a business card and put pastor on there? You you submit to anyone who calls himself an elder, to anyone who calls himself a pastor? What elder and pastor do you submit to? Well, it says submit to your leaders, your elders, your pastors. You're not called to submit to anyone and everyone who says that they are a pastor, but rather those who labor among you and share with you the word of God and who have a pattern of life that is worth imitating and worth following. And so this is why Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ. I would say the same to you. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I don't follow Christ, don't follow me. But as I do, follow me. The the, the leaders of the local church, they're to be an example to the body of what faithfully following Christ 
looks like. Again, we're not called to submit to the instruction and guidance of any pastor, of any elder. No, just of our pastors and our elders. And I just want to assure you that uh, for me, I am submitted to the eldership here at the church. Even though I am an elder, I am also submitted to the elders. And I also have a pastor in my life. The, the, the main pastor who, who really is my pastor, his name is Sam Walker. He, he, he's a faithful man of God. He was one of my dad's best friends. He, he's, he's actually going to come and preach for us next month in July uh, while I'm on vacation. And so he, he, is, he is my pastor. He, he calls me and he says, how are you doing? And how is your walk with the Lord? And how are you treating your wife? And are you being faithful? And we need that in our lives. And so it's not just that you need a pastor. I believe everyone needs a pastor. And so I want, I want to, again, share with you that I have a pastor who's in my life and everyone, every believer needs to be a part of a local church where they have a pastor too. And I do want to say that a pastor should not be, you know, Jesus said that, that the world lords their authority over people, that they oppress people with their authority. A pastor shouldn't be going around nitpicking every single little thing that's wrong in your life. But he should be somebody who, if there's something seriously wrong in your life, that he can call you out on it with the authority of Christ and encourage you to walk in faithful obedience to the, to the Lord. I'm not saying that the pastor goes out and, and checks everyone's inspection sticker and writes everybody up and says, in the name of Christ, go and get your inspection fixed. And, you parked a little bit crooked here, and so in the name of Jesus, I command you to park straight. And There's some places that are just so dogmatic about every little thing. No, it should be that the grace of God, the love of God is made manifest in our midst, and that the pastor should not have to wield that authority very often, but that he should wield it when it is necessary. And so people typically fall into two camps. One... Pastors never exercise their authority. The church is sick and suffering, plagued with sin, besetting sin. And then there's another side where they, they use their authority for every little thing that doesn't even matter. And people are oppressed and beat down. And so the truth is, of course, somewhere in the middle, that on certain things the pastor should, the elders should exercise the authority that God has given them as they bring the word of God to bear on the souls of the members of the church. So I'd want to say as, as elders at Destiny, it's our job, it's our goal, it's our desire to, to, um, to get better. We're, we're wanting to, to um, improve in our shepherding of the members of the church. This is something that um, the Lord has really put a desire on our heart to do. That's part of our, uh, again, bringing on these deacons. That's part of how we are going to shepherd and to serve the members of the church better. We want to do a better job of doing that. And so 
one thing that we're going to do at the end of this series, you know, I mentioned to you that um, every, everyone who's a member of the church, after this series, you'll have an opportunity to go through a brief process of reaffirming your membership, of saying, I'm still here, I'm still a member of the church, I'm still committed to the brothers and sisters at Destiny, I'm still submitted to the leadership and the word of God here. At the end of this series, you'll have an opportunity to reaffirm your membership. If you're not a member of the church, at the end of the series, there's a little bit longer process for you, but we would invite you to pray about becoming a member of the church, if that's something the Lord's put on your heart. But after we go through that process, every member of the church is going to be assigned an elder and a deacon. And so you will know, as a member of the church, you will know who your elder is and you will know who your deacon is. And if you need anything, you call on us. If somebody is sick, you call on us. If you're in desperate need, you call on us. If you got fired from your job, you call on us. We're here to serve you. If you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling with your kids, if, you're, if, if there's sin in your life and you're having a hard time putting it to death, you call on us. We are here to serve you. And so every member of the church will have an elder, will have a deacon. You will know who they are and they will be calling on you. They will know who you are and they will be watching to see if you, how you are doing. Because our hope is that you are growing and that you are flourishing and your walk with the Lord is better than it's ever been. And so our elders and deacons, we're going to be watching for you. We're going to be counting you. If you're not here, we're going to know. That's important. That's important. One of the, one of the greatest indicators of your spiritual health believe it or not, is whether or not you are attending church. When, when things start to go bad in your spiritual life, the first thing that goes is church attendance. And so if a believer starts to miss church, it's not that we call and say, hey, Baxton, believer, uh, we haven't seen you in two weeks. Um, we're excommunicating you from the faith. No. But it is an early indicator of things not going well in your spiritual walk. And we want to, as leaders, help, serve, intervene, help you follow Christ. And so as we go through this process, really over the next month or two, you will be knowing who your elder is and you will be knowing who your deacon is. Does that make sense? Again, why? Because we love you. And we want to do a better job of being the, the, the shepherds of the flock that God has called us to shepherd. So why particular church membership? To know who you are to serve. To know who you are submitted to. To measure your sanctification. To be affirmed in your salvation. These are, these are the, the benefits, if you want to use that terminology. These are the perks of being a part of a local church. 
They help us to be faithful Christians. So in conclusion today, can you be a Christian and not be a member of a local church? Well, technically, yes. Of course. You can be a Christian and not a member of the local church. Yes. Can you be married and never go home to your wife? Yeah. Technically, yeah. But you won't have a very good marriage. It's the same with your walk with the Lord. Can you be a Christian and never participate in a local church? Yes, technically. But you won't have much of a growing and vibrant faith. If I claim to be a part of the family, if I claim to be a part of the Bell family, but I never come home or participate in a family meal or participate in the family activities or have any interaction whatsoever with any of the members of the family, you'd really start to question whether or not I was truly a part of the family. And it's the same with the family of God. You can be a Christian and not part of a local church. But if you're never interacting with the family of God, if you never come to the house of God, if you never participate in the family meal like we're about to do, taking communion, or in the family activities, if you don't weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, if you don't suffer with those who suffer and celebrate with those who are celebrating, if you don't have any interaction whatsoever with other members of the body of Christ, you'd really start to question whether or not you're part of the family of God. And so this is why I truly believe that you cannot live out the Christian life that God has called you to apart from belonging to a local church family. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. It teaches us, it instructs us, it helps us. It is that lamp unto our feet. It is that light unto our path. Lord, as we endeavor to, to walk this out, to, to live this out, Lord, you are the perfect example. And Lord, we will, we will never attain perfection this side of heaven. Nevertheless, you, you don't call us to stay where we are in apathy, but you call us forward to follow you, to pursue you, to, to follow the example that you gave us. So help us to grow in our love for one another. Help us to grow in our devotion to one another. Help us to show our love for you by loving one another and serving one another. Your family, your body. Lord, if there's any area in our life where, where we are falling short, help us, show us. It's our desire to, to, to live and, and to follow you faithfully and to live as your people, to bring you glory, Lord, through our lives, but to gr bring you glory through, through, your, through this church and, and what you're doing in our midst. We give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.